This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Welcome to the first episode of Just Read It Already. As I mentioned in the intro, I am a huge book lover, and I have been since I was super young. Books have always provided a sort of escape for me, as they do for many, I'm sure. I used to read about four or five books a week, I guess, but over the last eight years or so, I uprooted, I moved back to the Pacific Northwest, and with that came a new job and new experiences, and my reading went from, you know, four to five books a week to four to five books, if that, a year. Yeah, I know, that's a huge decrease. A friend of mine and I started a true crime podcast back when the pandemic hit, like, what, 2020 was when that hit. I think we launched the podcast in July of that same year. It kept us pretty busy for quite a while, but after three years, we realized that researching and talking about crime and the effects that these unsolved murders and missing persons cases had on the families, it was really taking a toll on our mental health. So we decided to sunset that project. And by the way, that podcast is still available We're just not actively adding new episodes to it. So if you're into true crime, you can check that out at Six Degrees of WTF. That said, I found myself with more time on my hands, which meant I now had more time to read. And now I'm clocking about two to three books a week. So I'm not quite up where I was when I was living in Texas, but still a much better number than it was over the last eight years or so. But a couple of weeks ago, I was out to lunch with a friend of mine. We were chatting about all the books we're reading or have read or plan to read. And she said, hey, you're a podcaster. You should start a podcast where you talk about what books you've read or want to read. So, of course, I accepted that challenge. I do love podcasting and I can talk about books all day. So here we are. My plan is every week I'll review roughly three or so books that I've recently read. These might be new releases, they might be several years old. The deal is I just plan to pull from my endless TBR pile and then share my thoughts on the books with you. Now, the reviews won't be super in-depth. Please don't come here expecting discussions worthy of, you know, college lit class or something. I just plan to give my high-level thoughts what I liked, what I didn't like, maybe what I wanted more of. Might, on occasion, dive into who I would cast or who I could see playing the roles of the characters should this book be made into a movie or a TV series, something like that. We'll just have fun with it. But before I jump into the reviews, I plan to share with you what books are releasing each week. This week, week being March 20th through the 26th, we have a few books. Oh, one more thing. I I thought it'd be fun to share a favorite tea or other beverage Because when I sit down to read, I like to make a cup of tea or maybe coffee, depending on the time of day. 
or perhaps a glass of wine to help me relax and just ease into the book. I plan to do the same thing when I record this podcast, so just help me set the mood and ease on into book talk. So today I'm just drinking a glass of sparkling rosé. It's early Sunday evening, have to go to work tomorrow, so you know, just unwinding the last day of my weekend with a glass of grapes. Okay, so on to this week's new releases. This list was pulled directly from Goodreads. Now, I searched for books releasing in March of 2023. It was kind of a pain because you do get a list, but then you have to open each individual book to find the release date. The list was long, y'all, and my attention span is really short. So I likely didn't catch every book releasing this week. So my apologies if you're an author listening to this and I overlooked your book. I apologize. But the books that I have on this week's list of new releases starts with Luca of the Night Forest by Talor K. Magia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I apologize if not. It's a young adult fantasy. Next book is Beyond That, The Sea by Laura Spence Ash. It's a love story set against World War II. Next is The Witch and the Vampire by Francesca Flores. This is a queer Rapunzel retelling, which is super interesting. It definitely piqued my interest, and I'll have to check that one out. Next is How I'll Kill You by Ren Stefano. This is a thriller about identical triplets who kill their boyfriends. And evidently, they have a nasty habit of killing their boyfriends. Like, it didn't just happen just once. Definitely going to check that one out. Next is Two Wars and a Wedding by Lauren Willig. It takes place in the late 1800s during the Spanish-American War. Next, we have The Moonlight Blade by Tessa Barbosa. This, too, is a young adult fantasy. We have Lies of the Ajungo by Moses Ose Utomi. Hope I pronounced that right. It's listed as a science fiction fantasy book. We have Wandering Souls by Cecile Pinn. It's about three Vietnamese siblings seeking refuge in the UK after the Vietnam War. And the last one I have on the list is The Sinister Booksellers of Bath by Garth Nix. This is the second book in a teen fantasy series known as The Left-Handed Booksellers of London. And I looked into this. Sounds really, really good. So I added this to my check into this pile. The only book that I pre-ordered this week was How I'll Kill You. It sounds right up my mystery, thriller, murder-loving alley, so that will be on my iPad before the end of the night. And not gonna lie, I'll probably read that one very soon, so expect to hear about it in the next month or so. This past couple of weeks, I also purchased What Have We Done by Alex Finley, Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano, Something Wild and Wonderful by Anita Kelly, what Happened to Ruthie Ramirez by Claire Jimenez, and Wayward by Amelia Hart. So those two coming up soon. I also added a few books to my I Want to Read These Someday pile this week. Now, the difference between this list and the list that I just mentioned, the ones that I just ran through, I've already purchased. These I did not. I just add the, added them to the check into these later, likely because I reached my weekly book budget already. I'm keeping myself on a tight leash because I can buy some books, y'all. But the books I added to this list included Black Candle Women by Diane Marie Brown, Dog Days Forever by Shannon Richard, Of Scars and Stardust by Andrea Hanna, and Love and Other Words by Christina Lauren. Okay, so that's that. Let's get into the first review. Now, real quick, there will likely be minor spoilers in all of my reviews, so be aware. 
I'm not going to give away any major reveals or plot twists or anything, but in order to adequately discuss the books, I'll need to mention some of the events that happen. So if you plan to read any of these books, you want to go in blind, I would recommend that you use the chapters, which I've added in the episode description to jump to the next review that you want to listen to. The first book I'm going to chat about was Reese's book club pick for February of 2023, and it's a book titled House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson. This book was published by Simon & Schuster on February 7th, 2023, and the synopsis reads, 1950s Philadelphia. 15-year-old Ruby Pearsall is on track to becoming the first in her family to attend college, in spite of having a mother more interested in keeping a man than raising a daughter. But a taboo love affair threatens to pull her back down into the poverty and desperation that has been passed on to her like a birthright. Eleanor Quarles arrives in Washington, D.C. with ambition and secrets. When she meets the handsome William Pride at Howard University, they fall madly in love. But William hails from one of D.C.'s elite, wealthy black families, and his parents don't let just anyone into their fold. Eleanor hopes that a baby will make her finally feel at home in William's family and grant her the life she's been searching for, but having a baby, and fitting in, is easier said than done. With their stories colliding in the most unexpected of ways, Ruby and Eleanor will both make decisions that shape the trajectory of their lives. So overall, I really, really like this book. I absolutely loved the ending. I found Ruby's story to be far more interesting, but I still enjoyed Eleanor's. I just... I personally felt that Ruby's journey really tugged at the heartstrings. I rooted for both of these women. I badly wanted happy endings for both of them. And I felt for both of them. Again, I just felt like Ruby's story was a little more compelling, I guess. The book is set in the 1950s. It starts, actually, I think 1948 is when we first meet our main characters. The book addresses issues like racism, classism, and colorism. It alternates between Ruby and Eleanor's points of view, with Ruby's chapters being told in first person, while Eleanor's are in third person. Now, Ruby was born to a teen mother. She was raised by her grandmother, Nini, in Philadelphia. Nini is now blind, and Ruby, who is a very intelligent high school student and a talented artist to boot, really desperately wants to go to college. She wants to become an ophthalmologist so that she can help people like her grandmother. Ruby's mother, Inez, ends up kicking her out of the house after witnessing her live-in boyfriend, and by her boyfriend, I mean Inez's live-in boyfriend, making a sexual advance on Ruby. And she takes the boyfriend's side, so she kicks Ruby out, and Ruby goes to live with her aunt Marie. Marie is very no-nonsense. She's a hard worker. Ruby attends classes on weekends that will, or at least provided she finishes in the top two of the program, It will pay her way through college. So if she finishes in the top two, she'll get a scholarship and she's got a full ride. She is desperate to get one of these scholarships so that she can attend college and realize her dream of becoming an ophthalmologist. One day she meets a white Jewish boy by the name of Shimmy. Shimmy is the son of Marie's landlord and the two of them develop a really sweet friendship, but it eventually turns into something more than Ruby ever could have imagined for sure. Now, as we know, interracial couples were not only frowned upon at this point in time, they were illegal. And when Ruby suddenly finds herself pregnant with Shimmy's child, her hopes for college seem to be dashed. Shimmy is determined to marry Ruby, but Shimmy's mother refuses to let the good family name be tarnished, so she offers Ruby a deal, but she has to give up the baby. Ruby now has to decide what she wants. Does she want a shot at college? 
Or does she want to keep the baby and potentially resort to the same sort of life that her mother and most of the rest of her family has led? Now, our other main character is Eleanor, a small town girl. She's from a mixed race Ohio town whose family worked very hard to ensure that she could go to college. Eleanor attends the all-black Howard University in Washington, D.C. She dreams of becoming a member of the prestigious Alpha Beta Chi sorority on campus. Sadly, she's denied entry into the sorority, which absolutely crushes her. When her sassy roommate, Nadine, finds out that she didn't get in, she tells Eleanor, and I quote, Honey, everyone knows they only pick girls with hair straight as a ruler and skin paler than a paper bag. So this issue of colorism carries through Eleanor's story quite a bit. Eleanor works in the library at school to help pay her way through college, and this is where she meets William Pride. She's seen William at the library before, and until she learns his name, she's referred to him as the back because of his broad shoulders and strong back. The two have an interaction at the library one day, which leads to them meeting later on at a party. This leads to a date where Eleanor learns that William is in medical school and he's finishing up his residency. She also learns that Greta Hepburn, the president of the Alpha Beta Chi sorority, knows William and it becomes quite apparent that she has a thing for him. Nonetheless, William and Eleanor continue to date and eventually he takes Eleanor home to a dinner party that his parents are throwing. When she gets to this party, she realizes that most of the wealthy people in attendance, while black, are all light-skinned. And to make matters worse, William's mother doesn't seem to approve of Eleanor, and it becomes abundantly clear that she'd be much happier if William were to marry Greta. And she's been trying to make that happen for years. William has zero interest in Greta. And when Eleanor finds herself pregnant, William proposes. Now, Eleanor hopes that maybe a baby will help bridge the gap between her and William's mother. But when she miscarries, and then miscarries again... She begins to feel like she may never be able to give William the family he wants and deserves. Now, I'm not going to go into further details about the plot, but you can imagine where the stories may lead and how our main character's paths may cross. It's a great read, and like I said, the ending was amazing. I gave it four out of five stars on Goodreads. Now, we're going to pause here for a quick break, and then we'll come back and I'll share my thoughts on Colleen Hoover's Heartbones and Andrea Hanna's Where Darkness Blooms. We'll be right back. Alrighty, so now we're going to chat a little bit, or I'm going to chat a little bit, and you'll listen, as I chat about Heartbones by Colleen Hoover. This was first published in August of 2020 and then re-released by Atria Books on January 31st, 2023. And the synopsis for this one reads, After a childhood filled with poverty and neglect, Bea Grimm finally has her hard-earned ticket out of Kentucky with a full ride to Penn State. But two months before she's finally free to change her life for the better, an unexpected death leaves her homeless and forced to spend the remainder of her summer in Texas with a father she barely knows. Devastated and anxious for the summer to go by quickly, Bea has no time or patience for Samson, the wealthy, brooding guy next door. Yet the connection between them is too intense to ignore. But with their upcoming future sending them to opposite ends of the country, the two decide to maintain only a casual summer fling. Too bad neither has any idea that a rip current is about to drag both their hearts out to sea. So I really, really liked this book. 
I'm going to say it loud and proud, I am a full-on Colleen Hoover fan. I remember reading Slammed, her first novel, back in 2012, and I remember really liking it, but I don't remember a whole lot about it, which is kind of embarrassing, but then I realized that's been 11 years ago. You know, I've done a lot of things in 11 years, so I'll most likely be revisiting that one at some point. But over the last three months, I've read five of her books, and spoiler alert, I will be chatting about a couple of them next episode as well. So if you two are a Coho fan, be sure to tune in. What I love about her books, or at least the ones that I've read so far, is that they aren't all unicorn farts and sunshine. Like She puts her characters through some real-life shit, and I love it. I'm not much for a rom-com book, though, I mean, there are a few that I've read that I've enjoyed. I just have to be in the right mindset for them. I want to feel something. I want the characters to have to earn whatever it is they're getting, and thus far, she has made her characters do just that. Sometimes I want to slap them for being stupid, but I often understand the why behind their actions, even if I don't fully agree with them. So as a synopsis told us, this book is about Bea Grimm. She's a recent high school graduate from a small Kentucky town. Her mother is a drug addict, and Bea has pretty much been on her own her entire life. She's visited her birth father a few times in her life, but for the most part, it's just been her and her mom, at least whenever her mom is around. Bea took up volleyball when she was younger. She found out she was pretty good at it, so she worked super hard. She managed to get a full-ride scholarship to Penn State. So again, she's looking forward to that day two months from now when she can just get the hell out of town, leave all of that behind her. But her life is upended when she comes home from work one day and finds her mother dead from an overdose. This happens in the very first chapter. And you see or read about Bea walking in and finding her mother dead of an overdose. She stands there. She stares at her mother's body. And then she reflects on the shit life that she's led up to this point because of this woman. One quote that really struck me was, Most kids get the kind of parents who'll be missed after they die. The rest of us get the kind of parents who make better parents after they're dead. The nicest thing my mother has ever done for me is die. So that sets the tone about the relationship she's had with her mom. Now, she knows she can't stay in Kentucky, but she has two months before college starts, so her only other option is to go stay with her dad. Now, she and her dad aren't super close. She kind of resents him a little bit for not being present in her life. She assumes she'll be moving to Washington because this is where he lived the last time she had visited him. But when she calls him, she learns that he's living in Houston now. He has married a dentist. They have a summer house on Bolivar Peninsula near Galveston. And so Bea is off to live with her estranged father, his new wife, Alana, and Alana's daughter, Sarah. It's on the ferry to the peninsula that Bea first runs into Samson. He snaps a picture of her and then... He ends up offering her $20 because he sees her eat, take a slice of bread from a loaf that she found on the ferry. Now, for reasons you'll learn if you read the book, Bea is very offended by this gesture. It leads to a not-so-sweet meet-cute with Samson. But then later, after she gets to the, the summer house, she meets Sarah. We learn that Sarah's boyfriend is close friends with Samson, of course, and Sarah decides that she wants to hook the two of them up, which Bea has no interest in at first. 
But the more time she spends with Samson and the more she gets to know him, she realizes he is much more than the perceived spoiled rich guy that she thought he was. Samson is super helpful to many people on the peninsula, especially this elderly widow named Marjorie. And Marjorie just freaking cracked me up. I loved that character. Samson is also harboring some secrets of his own, as one would expect. The two of them realize they're getting in too deep. So they both agree that when August rolls around, that whatever is happening between them will be done. This is not a long-term relationship. There will be no strings attached. Bea will go to Pennsylvania for college. Samson will leave for the military. But as the days pass and Bea starts to learn more about Samson, she realizes leaving him is not going to be easy. But just when she thinks she hasn't figured out, the truth about who he really is is revealed. And it changes the course of both of their lives. I loved the complexity of both of these characters. I also loved that Sarah and Bea developed a really sweet friendship. There was none of that wicked stepsister, mean girl crap that you see in so many of these books. It was refreshing to see how their friendship developed and how they both helped each other with their own insecurities. This book was both hopeful and heartbreaking. For some reason, whenever I hear the song Exile by Bon Iver and Taylor Swift, it makes me think of this book. Don't know why. I guess it's just the tone and the kind of the haunting quality of that song that makes me think of this book. I would highly, highly recommend this one if you like a good contemporary romance, especially if you prefer your romances to be something other than sticky sweet. I gave this one a very enthusiastic five out of five stars on Goodreads. Okay. So, the last review of the day is a paranormally young adult horror fantasy book titled Where Darkness Blooms by Andrea Hanna. This book was published by Wednesday Books on February 21st, 2023, my birthday. The synopsis for this one reads, The town of Bishop is known for exactly two things, recurring windstorms and an endless field of sunflowers that stretches farther than the eye can see, and women missing women. So when three more women disappear one stormy night, no one in Bishop is surprised. The case is closed and their daughters are left in their dusty shared house with a shattered piece of their lives until the wind kicks up a terrible secret at their mother's much-delayed memorial. With secrets come the lies each of the girls is forced to confront. After caring for the other girls, Delilah would like to move on with her boyfriend Bennett, but she can't bear his touch. Whitney has already lost both her mother and her girlfriend Eleanor, and now her only solace is an old weather vane that seems to whisper to her. Jude, Whitney's twin sister, would rather ignore it all, but the wind kicks up her secret too, the summer fling she had with Delilah's boyfriend. And more than anything, Beau wants answers and she wants them now. Something happened to their mothers, and the townsfolk know what it is. She's sure of it. Bishop has always been a strange town, but what the girls don't know is that Bishop was founded on blood, and now it craves theirs. This book takes place in a small town in Kentucky. It was all kinds of creepy and atmospheric, and it starts with the very first chapter. In fact, the very first line of the book reads, The land had always been parched, but its thirst for blood was learned. The wind speaks to settlers passing through, begging them to stay, but they never do, and then one day a man and his family stop by, he hears the wind, and he offers the land the blood that it begs for by sacrificing his wife. And we're told that the sunflowers dance atop the unmarked graves of those who have died or 
have been killed on the land. In that first chapter, we get the idea that the land is very barren and very dry and very thirsty. But then we flash forward a few hundred years and we see that now we have a small town named Bishop, which is thriving, or at least it's thriving if you're a man. Several women have gone missing over the years, or they've just mysteriously dropped dead under very mysterious circumstances, yet no one in town seems to pay it any mind. They just toss it off as like, oops, she died. Okay, guess we'll bury her and move on. No one except for four young women whose mothers all went missing on the same night seem to be concerned about this. But where are their mothers? Are they dead? Did they just pick up and leave? I mean, and if they picked up and left their daughters here knowingly and willingly, what the hell was wrong with them? Now, the book focuses on these four young women. Delilah is the oldest, and she acts kind of as a mother figure to the girls. Then we have Ruth, or I'm sorry, Jude and Whitney, who are twins, and then Bo. All of the characters have very distinct personalities. The author does a great job of distinguishing between them, and we, we get to see all four of their perspectives. And sometimes when you get that in books, it feels really disjointed, but this one doesn't at all. I felt like it was perfectly written. The four girls lived together in a big house at the edge of town. I didn't really understand how they were able to stay in this house. All of their fathers had left them at some point in time. So their mothers had all moved into this house together with the girls before they disappeared. And then now the girls live there while they finish school. No idea how that's possible, but we get the feeling pretty early on that they have dreams of finding out what happened to their mothers, one, and also someday getting out of town, but we get the feeling that that's probably not going to happen. I don't want to give a whole lot of the plot away because there were several revelations along the way that are just more fun if you learn about them while you're reading it. I will say that I'd figured out what was going on pretty early on in the book, but the fact that I remained engrossed says a lot because a lot of times when I figure out what is happening so early, I grow bored with the book. But this one kept me hooked. And I think a lot of it had to do with the amazing atmosphere that Hannah creates. The town of Bishop is definitely the main character in this book, and it is literally alive. There's this constant wind that whips up into something dangerous in a matter of seconds. And the sunflowers that seem to whisper and come alive leave you wondering if they're on the good or the bad side of things. I could feel the wind, I could feel the power of the storms, and I could hear the whispers of the sunflowers as I read this book. It's super creepy. It's also a study on how women are often at the mercy of men, and how men feel as though they should be able to dictate the trajectory of women's lives. The book does come with a trigger warning, because there is a mention of sexual assault in the book that's not in you know described in detail or anything, but it does happen. So, trigger warning there. There's not a whole lot of blood and gore in the book, which I liked. I would definitely recommend this one to anyone who likes a good, creepy read. I gave it a solid four out of five stars on Goodreads. So those are all of the reviews that I have for you today, quick and easy. If you would like to share your thoughts with me on any of these books, or if you want to suggest a book, or you just want to say hi, you can do so by visiting the contact page on the website at justreaditalready.com. You can send me a message using the form. I also have the ability to leave me a voicemail. And if you leave a voicemail, I'll play it on the show. So if you want to call in, recommend a book or something, or again, just say hi. You don't even have to call a number. You just simply press the button on the website, leave your message, and it will send me a file. I also have Goodreads links, as well as links to purchase all of the books that I reviewed today. 
And you can also learn more about me and check out my Goodreads profile there as well. Now, before I close out, I want to call attention to a few other podcasts that I'm involved in or will be involved in here in the next few weeks. On Wednesday, May 3rd, my friend Aaron Stallings and I will be launching a podcast titled Back Where We Belong. This is a Gen X focused podcast where every week we'll pick a movie from when we were growing up. So 70s, 80s, 90s. And we'll watch and discuss the movie and also discuss what was going on in the world at the time. It'll be part movie review, part history lesson, and all nostalgia for you Gen Xers. I also mentioned earlier that we did a true crime and unsolved mysteries podcast titled Six Degrees of WTF. Again, we're no longer recording new episodes for that one, but we do have over 100 past episodes available. So if you're interested in that subject, please give that a listen. And then Aaron, who was my co-host on Six Degrees, as well as my future co-host on Back Where We Belong, she does a podcast titled Here's Drinking With You, Kid, with her friend Conrad Monez. And every Tuesday, they watch and review one of the movies from AFI's Top 100 Movies of All Time. Also a good listen. So check those out. We'd love to have you. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I hope you'll join me next week for a double double header. I plan to review Colleen Hoover's It Ends With Us and It Starts With Us, as well as Adam Silvera's They Both Die at the End and The First to Die at the End. And I'll also have next week's new releases. We'll see you then. Have a great day.